You're listening to B2B Nation, a podcast from Technology Advice designed to help marketers navigate the modern B2B buyer's journey. Here's your host, Mike Pastor. Does your B2B content position your company as being an expert in whatever it is you do? While many B2B companies are capable and comfortable creating content pieces to drive leads, fewer firms have mastered a holistic content strategy. But I like to use the uh, analogy of um, right uh, teeth without a jaw. A lot of times people will create um, one article about this one thing. It's a really, really specific answer, but there's no infrastructure around it. It's just this page that's out there in left field. And then they'll go do another one and they'll go do another one. And like I said, you got a pile of teeth with no jaw or they'll say, oh, we need this long form early stage awareness guide. And then they don't write anything else about that topic. Um, so what I'm, you know, proposing is everybody thinks about what would it truly mean to be an expert on this and what of that do we have and what do we not have across that entire journey. That's Jeff Coyle from Market Muse. On this episode of B2B Nation, Jeff and I are talking about using content to cover your entire buyer's journey, the analytics and insights that help make informed decisions around the content you create, and why you need to identify and focus on the right strategy for your organization. Welcome to B2B Nation. Jeff Coyle, welcome to B2B Nation. Why don't you take a minute and tell us who you are and what you do? Oh, thanks, Mike. Love to be here today. Uh, I'm Jeff Coyle. I'm the co-founder and chief strategy officer for Market Muse. And Market Muse is a content intelligence platform that sets the standard for content quality. So what we do is we tell you where you need to be focused, where you have strengths and weaknesses, where you have great breadth and depth of coverage, maybe some things that might not be so great. We'll give you advice as how to prioritize what to create, what to update, we use artificial intelligence to build outlines, content briefs that act as a single source of truth for your writers so they get on the same page with people that are asking them to do stuff. Um, and yeah, everything in between. All right. So there are a lot of strategies people use today around content creation. Yeah. They like to pull in search data. What are the topics people are, are looking for? Uh, people incorporate customer feedback, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, my customer said this, this, and this. They build content around the questions they're frequently asked about their products. Uh, obviously, we're not explaining this well enough, so let's create blog posts or whatever about it. Let's talk about the approach to content creation that you champion. Awesome. Uh, so there's inputs are really important. Also, subject matter expert inputs, editorial experts that you might have. Um, extracting information from those people is and those team members is as valuable as extraction from feedback, customers, prospects, people in any stage of the buyer journey. Um, from a market data and search data, certainly those are going to be inputs. But what they all lend them, they all lead to building out effectively a, a topic universe or universe of concepts that you need to cover uh, comprehensively to tell the story that you're the expert, you're the authority on what it is to know everything about this concept, right? So when my, our approach or my approach as well is to consider where does this fit? Where does this concept fit? Where is its origin? How much coverage do we need? Uh, and at various stages and levels of sophistication. Um, so inputs that I look for are who are you today, right? It's look in the mirror. What content do you have? Where do you have strengths? Where do you have weaknesses? Um, who do you want to be? So maybe lists that you own um, or data that you get 
whether it's market data from social listening, whether it's feedback, or whether it's your own research, it's going to build up your list. Um, the third is going to be competitive landscape. So what are my competitors doing that I specifically care about? Maybe a section of a competitor site is important for me to analyze. So if I read all that content, parse out all the concepts, now I want to check out and to see where do I have good coverage? Where do I not have great coverage? And that gives me personalized data to understand who I am today and who I want to be and what that gap is. And that's my main approach um, to deciding and prioritizing what to create and what to update. It's a big difference than just, you know, long tailing your enterprise search box, uh, which, you know, like you mentioned, it's, it, it's not a terrible thing to do that, but it should be part of an ensemble approach, right? That's a candidate to go knock that out. But I like to use the uh, analogy of um, right uh, teeth without a jaw. A lot of times people will create um, one article about this one thing. It's a really, really specific answer, but there's no infrastructure around it. It's just this page that's out there in left field. And then they'll go do another one and they'll go do another one. And like I said, you got a pile of teeth with no jaw or they'll say, oh, we need this long form early stage awareness guide. And then they don't write anything else about that topic. Um, so what I'm, you know, proposing is everybody thinks about what would it truly mean to be an expert on this and what of that do we have and what do we not have across that entire journey from whether you're a awareness consideration purchase post-purchase troubleshooting champion development advocate development uh if that's your funnel or if you're a you know care consider chooser i don't you know whatever it is do we have it and do we have it across the whole biocycle that tells the story that we're experts yeah, at our recent Demand Fest event, Brian Finnerty from Udacity called it creating content for content's sake. <laughs> well, yeah, Come up don't with a do plan. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really one of those, it's funny though, because you, you, you think about it, right? It's you need to be there at all stages of that information experience or that buyer experience or customer experience in order to be there at another stage. And a lot of teams are just rushing to the end. They want to be there. They want that lead, right? So they're not thinking, oh, well, how do we build our reputation as being thought leaders and as delivering expertise? Oh, we need it across the entire funnel. Oh, but that early stage awareness page doesn't generate direct leads, right? Yeah, it, that's it's, it's building this blob or this momentum that tells the story that we know what we're talking about. You should trust us. Come here way fine to the next stage, right? Or... Next time you make, uh, you know, next time you're looking or as you're further down that process. So a lot of times people are thinking really, really uh, one dimensionally, one stage. They think that, you know, not supporting, you know, having your own post-purchase troubleshooting forum. You'd rather people learn about all your bugs somewhere else. Um, you'd rather them learn about, um, you know, what, what's the product, what's the content that you're creating about this topic for experts? How about for industry specific at this stage? You know, you've got to really be thinking about that multiple matrix for certain types of readers, certain types of learners. Um, you know, I might have for early stage awareness on a core topic, I might have, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 major assets to come to do all those, you know, learner type, uh, uh, sophistication type, industry specific. And I, cause I want to, I want to, I want to find the right people and I want to deliver to them, you know, the best possible thing. And when you're just thinking about keywords, you know, you're not really getting it done. Um, you're 
probably building, like I mentioned, you know, teeth. <laughs> the content world, I've worked in the content world for almost 30 years now. And yeah. there's a lot of content purists out there. Mm-hmm. And they get a little nervous when you drop terms like one you just used a couple minutes ago, those two little letters, AI. And you talk about data and forming your content creation and the people who are champions of putting pen to paper. Um, you know, they start worrying about automation, taking away their job, content creation, and, and machines spitting out what they need to create. So how do you how do you assuage those concerns with people? And how do you bring sort of the art and science of content creation together? No, it's... I first thing I say is no, 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 wait, 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 no, no. But I say what I actually say is I'm the person you're looking for me personally, um, because the most important people are those people. It took me a while to realize that. So, you know, I was generating leads. I've generated hundreds of millions of leads as scary as that sound for content um, in B2B specifically. And the what I recognize is the value that can never be replicated is the value of the subject matter expert and the editorial lead. That's the value. That's the content that isn't being replicated through natural language generation, right? That's the that's what what is being done with generation is effectively extremely low quality content that would have to be revised, edited, even developmentally edited. Right, so a, a developmental edit would be where it actually needs form structure, uh, connection tone, uh, advisory. Um, so for someone who is a likes pen to paper and who is an editorial expert or a subject matter expert, this is a wonderful time to be because the market for low quality content just disappeared. Like, there's no market to physically write crud right it's to actually get something that you can sell functionally has to be so much better than it was even a year ago so from a purist perspective the market for garbage is going away and i love that um but the other piece is that their knowledge the the abilities that they have melds extremely well with the fields of artificial intelligence that i live in natural language processing um and identifying what it means to be an expert on a topic, topic coverage, breadth and depth of coverage. The outputs of the, the fields and branches of artificial intelligence I work in tend to be the types of things that an editor-in-chief who really knows what they're doing wants to high five. It's to say, you know, and, and they're like, yeah, that is exactly right. You know, or they're astonished by the fact that it can identify a blind spot in an article that they wrote. It's not saying do this for you know some sort of weird reason or to trick something. It's to say, hey, you wrote a great article about content marketing strategy and you didn't really get into buyer personas. This article would be higher quality if you expanded it to cover buyer personas. But by the way, if you can't expand it on buyer personas, you should cover buyer personas somewhere else. So maybe link to it and go write something else and integrate those two things to more round out your coverage about this concept. That's a story an editor wants to hear. What an editor does not want to hear, what a purist does not want to hear is pepper in these words. <laughs> or, hey, go Here's write- your the- list of keywords. And go, then you know, you know what I mean? Keyword density. 
right? But so, so sometimes when you look at the output of these types of solutions, if you're taking them in that manner, like if you're just reading it that way, if you don't know how it's sourced, it can feel very yucky. Like you mentioned density, because I'm providing insights about topics to include. It's just how is it being done? Is it being done by copying a competitor? That doesn't feel good. And also it doesn't work. If it's done because, you know, in my case, I've gone out and I've processed every article that exists on the topic that you're covering, and I've distilled it down into one golden topic model. And it says, if you were truly an expert, you would have covered these things. And that's what I'm showing you. I mean, that's like beautiful for an editor who really cares about their craft. It can also level up somebody who's kind of mediocre. Um, and give them some special powers. And what I, the least, the last thing on, this is what sells a typical writer on thinking critically about this at the page level is I don't want great writers to do anything but build great narratives and write. If they're doing other stuff, that's not time well spent. I don't want a great editor, you know, doing something that they're not good at either. I, if they're developmental, developmental, I don't want them doing keyword research or SEO work right? I want that work done for them so that they can focus on the things that they're really good at and things that they're passionate about. Because when that happens, it's magical. And the cool thing about that is when writers write and when editors edit and they have all that data at their disposal, the search engine optimization professional is happy because they're doing the stuff that's going to be performant. And that's the, that's the handshake that's always been missing is that, hey, do this, uh, wait, why? I've been doing this for 20 years. I've been doing this for 30 years. What do you know about this topic? By the way, I've had that said to me early in my career. Um, and so I know, and I, I'll get into that a little bit later if you want. Um, but that's, it, it's really inspirational for me when I have an editor-in-chief saying, whoa, this is really giving me the insights that makes my collection better, higher quality. And it also gives the benefit of higher hit rates, you know, more of the content I write is scores because what we're able to do is provide insights as to how hard is it going to be for my site to grow on this topic. It's not just like how much content needs to be created. It's not just Bill Pepper in a word. It's to say, if you want to own this topic, I worked with a B2B tech company. I'll give you an example, quick one. Um, they had two product lines in two distinct areas. They weren't very much overlap. They said they need to grow leads to each section 30%. And we analyzed all their data and we said, well, for this one section, you need to update 30 articles and write about 35 this year to have that impact. This other one, it's about 180 and about 100 to update. So obviously, as any good B2B tech company will do, they're like, do the 30, <laughs> do the easier one. And then we'll put this one off into next year, see how things go. Um, and they did, and it was immediately successful. But being able to guide, set expectations so that it's not just a crapshoot, increase those hit rates, that's how you use AI. You use AI to predictively understand where to invest your money in content. And then you let your editors edit. You let your subject matter experts show, their, show them that they know them. And you let your writers write. And that's, that's the dream for writers. You just, you mentioned a little while ago, low quality content. I, I feel like one of the big innovations in content of the past 15 years or so were people tried to game Google. Mm -hmm. They watered it down. And Google, to its credit, 
recognize that and basically put an end to it with a few lines of code <laughs> and, <laughs> and said we're we're going to uh promote quality over the keyword stuffing and the yes. metadata and all that stuff but i don't think it's a stretch to say there hasn't been a whole lot of innovation in b2b content in that time frame so where does b2b content go from here yeah, I mean, I could talk about that topic all day. I was one of the people on top of the mountaintop screaming for people to change before all that came up because I knew it was coming. I saw the painting, painting on the writing on the wall uh, that fateful day in January and February of 2011 <laughs> uh, when the first waves hit. Um, and the you know focus on content quality is nothing new for search engines, right? They have, they've always been saying it. It's just they are getting better at it. And it's a very complex thing to be able to do and exhibit expertise. And now the search engines are able to evaluate that at a topic page, topic site section, and even topic site level, right? So it's a tremendously computationally challenging problem for them, but they get better and better and better at it. So you know, in the B2B space, you know, where people are under, they're all they're understanding that in order to be experts, in order to exhibit expertise, coverage across the buyer journey is no longer a, um, an, an option, an optional thing. A coverage across the uh, learner uh, type, across the industry focus, across the, all those things are no longer optional. And if you're going to be successful at uh, for long with longevity at being a thought leader on your the topics that you care about the industries that you're in, you have to become both a publisher as well as strong in media. Uh, sorry, in, in marketing automation and marketing technology in order to turn all that the value that's generated by your site into successful, you know, successful lead management and B2B or whatever it would be. Um, but that become, that's really where there's been a big change. Um, and that's really hard for a lot of teams to understand is to, to go all the way from, you know, someone with unknown need, someone who's super early stage, we do want them learning about our company, somebody who's in the buying process, we do want them. And then at the same time, what you have is, it, direct B2B companies are getting slowly more mature as content strategy or uh, focused organizations. We need a content strategy. We need great coverage. We need to be thinking both as publishers. Some of them who are more mature are focusing on things that might be referenced as blue ocean content. That's content that only their organization can produce. It might have data that shows that they can use their product to produce unique value. It might have data that uh, is industry analysis only they have. Um, and those are kind of the best in breed uh, of the B2B people who are getting, you know, they recognize they need great thought leadership. And then they're thinking blue ocean because then it's very difficult to compete with. What you also have in the same moment is two other flights of things happening. The first is aggregators aggregators are leveling up their technology at such a speed and at such sophistication that they have basically cemented themselves in a sector of the market. 
and these are the Capteras software advice, uh, you know, uh, G2s, you know, uh, and all of those types of entities are all eating a chunk of the available traffic to a direct B2B technology company. And then the last is aggregators and publishers who are focused on generation of intent data for other usage, right? So the market's going one way with intent data. You have publisher networks, publisher co-ops uh, who are then, you know, focused on cultivating data, selling it, syndicating it, programmatically generating paid. You've got the aggregators who are sort of in that same bucket, but doing it in a different way with like a Captera software advice, uh, G2. And then you get direct who are like, whoa, how do I even try to compete with these people? Oh, I have to be a great publisher too. Um, and, you know, portfolio owners and publishers who have direct sites are your competition as well as potentially a channel partner. And that's real tough for people to figure out, you know, um, and, and that's where the space is going. High quality content, comprehensiveness, and development of authoritativeness from your voice as well as channel syndication partners and channel partners is a must have for a B2B tech company. And what I struggle with now is people who haven't gotten there and they're trying to publish these one-off pages thinking it's gonna have success. So they look at the page like, well, I wrote a really great guide. And they're like, it's, it's really good. I used this other tool and it told me that it's optimized. And I'm like, yeah, it is. It's good. It's, it's a wonderful white paper or it's a wonderful 6,000 word opus on, you know, this topic. You did a great job. You know how much money you're going to have to spend for that thing to start generating organic traffic? Are you ready for that? That's what that other thing tool should have told you, but it's not. And that's where we step in. And I give kind of the advisory to say, you know, you have a lot of foundational work to do. Um, and that's where I think B2B, Writing low quality content, oh my gosh. I mean, that's like, if you're, st if you're still living in that type of a world, um, if anyone's saying um, it works because of exceptions, right? If there's anything left like that in your organization, you got to raise the flag and go, wait, 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 wait. Um, just because this was working a long time ago, just because you can see a low quality site doing well is, means nothing to you or the longevity of your brand. Um, I see that so much because people are pointing to publishing networks. Um, they're like, oh, well, that's not a great page. So I don't need to create great pages, right? And you're like, don't do that. You're either comparing yourself to someone so powerful um, that they're allowed to get away with stuff. They get treated a little bit differently. You're comparing yourself to a different type of publishing network, right? Like if their site goes away, they go buy a, do a new domain and they do it again, say it's an affiliate site that you're competing with, right? They'll go real aggressive, but you can't. You're a real brand. You expect to be here in 10 years. Don't compare yourself to, uh, um, you know, I was talking to a major, um, can't say the name. I was talking to a major appliance brand who I work with. And they're like, I keep getting beat by this site. And I'm like, yeah, you, ha you have to live with it. Because if that site dies, the owner of that site goes, buys another domain. <laughs> He's so, this person's so aggressive you need this brand to exist because so you can't do what they're doing. And then I have the same people, similarly, they'll compare themselves to these huge publishers. Hey, but three-letter acronym who publishes stuff a lot, 
does it, so can I, right? No, no, no. They play a different game. They're not even playing 4D. You're playing regular chess on a board. They're not even playing 4D chess. They're playing 4D chess with all queens because they don't have the same rules you do. Okay. Um, and so like, you've got you to understand that. So if you're using a software solution, for example, that tells you to copy what Amazon's doing, you bust it, right? It's not going to work. It might work for like a little bit and then you're going to crash. Um, so there's so many different things that BDB marketers need to be thinking about, which all connects to quality, comprehensiveness, coverage, and the highest level expert in the room in your organization is the most valuable asset. Yeah, it's funny the way you describe the relationships. Everybody's a publisher today. Yes. Right. And in B2B tech, historically, tech companies have had these sort of frenemy relationships. You compete with, but also work with, you know, how many of those did Microsoft have where they're competing with someone, but also cooperated on products or code or something. And the same thing that they did in the on the tech side, they're sort of doing in the content side. I want to create and publish my own content, but I know that's not the only channel right. that's going to help me succeed. So I'm going to go to this publisher and this site, and we're going to do content there as well. Well, they're all buying each other. So someone asked me last year too, um, what's the trend that you'll start seeing? And I said, I see this puck a three years in advance, two years in advance, one year, one year in advance. And, and I give the, gave the why before it happened. And it was, there's going to be major software companies and B2B tech brands buying publications. And it's not going to make sense to people, but here's why, right? Then you're going to have major publishers actually buying software companies. And then you're going to have these big monolithic companies buying both. So now it's all started to happen. And people are like, whoa, why did, you know, SEMrush buy Backlinko, for example? Why did, what's, what's Red Ventures doing over there buying all these companies, right? What's, you know, in the uh, intent data space, you know, like who's in those co-ops? You know, you've got so many of these different scenarios where, but go look at the big portfolios and their number of brands just keep growing and growing and growing because they're brilliant at both sides of the game. Terakeet is a great example of a not so well-known portfolio owner who's also an agency. Um, there's piles of these sites who are in the business of creating wonderful user experiences for B2B readers of all shapes and sizes. Um, you know, Gartner, for example, Captera, uh, you know, software. So, I mean, there's a reason why all this stuff's happening. It's because it's powerful to both be an authority of the buying process, as well as attracting readers who are happy and having a great experience reading expert level content. And the more that businesses get this, the more acquisitions and uh, consolidation you're going to have. Now, the wild card on that this is the this is the shocking. This is the uh, worth the price of admission for the podcast. Is what's gonna what's Google gonna do? That's what's that's my next the next six months. If you check in with me, Google's gonna have to figure something out because if an entire search result, all the paid listings plus all the organic listings are all owned by the same company, 
Isn't that a problem? Yeah. Already, already, <laughs> already have already All right, six months. Uh, it's mid April right now. By the way, already happening. Stuff's going down to impact <laughs> that. Right. And then what do you do? Right. I mean, in, in, in my, my first ever SEO conference. So I've been doing this for um, 20 plus years, 23 and a half years, as scary as it sounds. My first, I saw a, a gentleman who's still in the industry and still rocks it. I won't say his name, although he'd probably appreciate it. It was Bill Hunt, uh, who worked at IBM for years and back Azimuth, I believe is his org now. He had a huge spreadsheet and it had all the servers at that all of his websites were on crossed in a big grid against all the IP addresses. Because he was worried that um, they had so many brands and so many websites that it would look like they were just big old link farms amongst one another. And I'm like, things get different, but in the end, something's going to happen. It's going to all be the same. Because if you know, if you if you go buy every publisher in your market, you know, what do you do? You know, what, what's left? And 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 then it becomes a a big a big question of is this already happening? What is too big? And then it's going to be a, this big old quagmire. So B2B tech, first person that's going to face the music there. Cool. Yeah. It's, it's quite a tool you're building out, which brings us to the question <laughs> we like to ask just about everybody on B2B Nation. What is your favorite tool? Um, my favorite is B2B. My favorite two right now are very B2B centric. So I'm going to use, I'm going to get to. Um, one is called Mad Kudu. M-A-D-K-U-D-U is a data science studio application whose primary function is predictive lead scoring, all right? What it does is it can actually take all of your CRM data, take all of your activity data, if you've got product information, if you're a SaaS application, it can take all that data and put it into one series of models. One is going to give you predictable customer fit. And the other ones are going to give you things like likelihood to buy and intent data amongst your own pool of info. Um, so the coolest part about that is you bring everybody to the party, all your editors, all your writers, all your content marketers, your executives, they can all say, what do you think is going to be a, the right demographic list? They're all going to say, oh, you know, uh, C-level execs, uh, 50 million or above. And, and then you can use real data that connects to your real CRM data, um, real if you use a CX platform, if you're using a gain site or whatever, bring it all to the party and it will build out models that then distill users. They come to your site and they could be free users. They could just have signed up for your newsletter. Once they're identifiable, they immediately get predictively scored. And you can set your watch to that score. And that's the dream, right? That's what intent data providers are missing. It's the reconciliation of that prediction. So it's not just saying, you know, it's not a company level lead universally saying, you know, people at Boeing are reading about CRM. So there must be a purchase going on. It's a person from Boeing came to your site. They've exhibited signals that they're likely to buy. You better jump on that, jump on that quickly. Um, so Mad Kudu is a great one. Mutiny is another one that I love. Um, Mutiny is a, 
a lightweight personalization platform. So there's a lot of page personalization platforms, but I feel Mutiny has really slammed it on, um, and I've used a lot of them. I have an op, I'm an Opti award winner with Optimizely uh, from a long time ago. Um, you know, I've used a lot of, but Mutiny is just simple. It's like you can build personalized website experiences based on a data set. You can also bring your own data in. Um, if you have your own composite scores. So I can say, if there's a high mad kudu score, show them this experience. I can say, I can even do ABM. Uh, so I can say, if somebody from Boeing lands on one of these sections of my site, I want to bring them into this other experience um, that they might not have had. And I can do it very, very quickly. Uh, set up those experiences. If I'm in a big organization, this can be a lifesaver because um, it might take a long time for me to get stuff changed. So if you feel like you work at a company where it takes a long time to get stuff changed, um, these might be really good solutions for you. Make people realize that it's not just about if, if then statements, which you know drives me crazy. <laughs> good old basic. <laughs> AI, AI eliminates if then statements. And so like, and you know why? Because if then statements are usually wrong. Um, and that's where, that's what I like to, um, cause you know, I say every customer who is this or every time, you know, we only sell deals to this, but when you look at the real data, it never matches. Um, so you're, you're making black and white, you're making great guesses, but yeah, I, I find that those are two exciting fields, uh, personalization and using data science and machine learning to take on things that marketing technology has just decided are, you know, in the past that the best they could do is um, rules, rule statements, rules. Um, that's where I focus my, all of my life energy on those things. In my case, it's to say nobody could ever evaluate a content item for quality. Quality is subjective. I say, no, it's not. You know, um, Matt Kudu says, you know, lead scoring is a series of, uh, you know, demographic information. They say, no, it's not. It's actually not, you know, so that's the kind of stuff that I love to see people challenge. All right, Jeff Coyle, thanks for appearing on B2B Nation. It's been a pleasure and uh, it's so good to see you. Hopefully we'll do this again real time soon. Thanks again to Jeff Coyle for appearing on this episode of B2B Nation. Thanks also to the technology advice team, Amy Dunn and KJ Pace. If you found this episode insightful and interesting, share it with a friend and subscribe to B2B Nation on Apple, Google, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Mnemonics in the Guild composed our theme song. We'll catch you next time on B2B Nation. Mm-hmm.